Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello, that's me. Why did everything sound so... Anyway, hi, welcome. It's a Monday. It's a dreary Monday. It's a dreary Monday in Pittsburgh. It's a dreary Monday in Pittsburgh after a Steeler loss. So there is no joy in Mudville, I'll tell you that. I just want to talk for a second about um, that football game. I don't usually watch. For some reason, yesterday, guys, because it was just a gray, icky day, I, I had it on. Um, I, it really, I mean, I grew up as much of a football fan as a person can be. I mean, if you're born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin, you can bet. That's pretty much the whole thing there. But... I'm sorry, the game has just gotten awful on so many fronts. The fact that you can't watch a game without seeing men, young men, lying, they look dead sometimes on the field. They're carted off. You see other players in tears kind of a how do you like a game like that I mean and I like the game and then and then because there's such a backlash against the brutality of the game and the now known damage to these players the league trying to keep its golden goose laying its eggs um, has done all kinds of changes in the rules to protect especially the quarterback <laughs> so the game can be exciting and and not have as much carnage I guess the rules being so, I mean, it's almost as if they've made rules that prevent the players from playing the game that they've always played. And so the players are constantly being uh, judged to be uh, breaking those rules. And then the replay and the challenges and the, it's like, I'm sorry, what kind of, it's like, <laughs> that's a game? Has anyone toted up the amount of time that we, I don't know. I, it, the game is awful now to me. And yet there's part of me that still can be drawn in. But my God. To see that young quarterback, literally, he looked dead. Players on the field, actually the Washington Post reporting on it, um, said this today. They have the picture of Mason Rudolph lying there with... Uh, Alejandro Villanueva and Ramon Foster looking down at him and Villanueva says his eyes were open and he was breathing but he wasn't there he wasn't moving I knew it was a medical emergency um I 
I like games that are, you know, involve talent, skill, speed, strength, all those things that don't result in the kind of horrific injury we're seeing. The fact that Ryan Shazier was on the sidelines, a player who was lying like that a few years back, some people thought would never walk again, let alone play the game. And the kind of rehab and just the gutsy um, will that Shazier has, he has done better than anyone ever would have thought. And the Steelers have kept him on, even though he'll never play again. He watched as Mason Rudolph lay there. I can't imagine in terms of like post-traumatic stress disorder what Ryan Shazier went through. Shazier. Anyway, I, I got to tell you. Um, and then uh, the Washington Post makes a big thing about the fact uh, they say this, compounding the frightening scene was the Steelers' inability to get a medical cart onto the field. That brought criticism from the NFL Players Association. Here's another player. You're just waiting, waiting, waiting for him to get up. The seconds turn into minutes, and the minutes turn into, I don't, your stomach just drops. You feel sick. I don't like games like that. I'm just saying. I don't like games like that. It reminded me of why I'd stopped watching pretty much. And I and I'm, I, my hands aren't clean here because I am drawn to it. And I understand people who are defensive now about the fact that they continue to support the game. Well, it's troublesome. What's the last professional game you've watched where someone wasn't literally carted off the field? I mean, this is how, how much removed is this from gladiators, coliseums? <laughs> Not much at all. Okay, um, I just had to get that off my chest. The, uh, the latest news that's bothering the President of the United States is, of course, this uh, federal district judge in New York. Uh, throwing out uh, Trump's arguments that his tax returns should not be made available, that he is somehow immune <laughs> um, from all laws. The judge said bull, essentially. And of course, Trump attorneys immediately appealed to yet another court. This would be a circuit, federal circuit court, I would imagine. So um, we'll see, but uh, he lost that round uh, decisively. And knowing how strenuously this president has protected his tax returns, uh, we can only assume that there would be an, a lot of very interesting information on them. What he did to the Kurds last night, I guess, today, is 
unspeakable. For those not paying attention, the Kurds in Syria have been our, the Kurds in uh, Iraq were our greatest supporters, the Kurds in Syria. They have been on the front line of our battle against ISIS. They're amazing fighters. And they, of course, still fighting for a homeland of their own. I've often wondered why the Kurds don't get the kind of fervent international support that the Palestinians do. I've often wondered that. They're viewed as a threat in every country that they are. The Iraq government didn't like them. The Turkish government really doesn't like them. Nobody likes them. They're a people without a country. I do wonder why they're not given more support. And after a phone call from one of his dictator friends, Erdogan, Turkey, last night, Trump said, go for it. He literally said, I'll pull out any troops we got there and go ahead, go on in and clean those Kurds out because Erdogan considers them a threat. These are our allies. And Trump just <laughs> stabbed him in the back, totally abandoned them, and a lot of good people who trusted us are going to die. I'm sure Trump did this on a, I don't even think, my bet is he doesn't even have a clue what he said yes to. Now, if Republicans go along with this, they it will be obvious that their souls are gone, gone, finished, done. I don't know if you heard Colin Powell, former Secretary of State, speaking to Fareed Zakaria this weekend, but he expressed the same kind of disbelief about the cowardice of Republicans in the Congress that I know we feel. He said, what are they afraid of? That they'll lose a primary? That that takes precedence over what? Duty to country? Duty to support the Constitution of the United States? Have they all totally capitulated their free will because of their need to protect not their constituents, not their country, not the Constitution, but to protect themselves, their position, their jobs? And in order to do that, they have to keep this monster in the White House happy. It's scary. I'm telling you, it's scary. I think we in this country often have no sense of I mean I, I want to talk about courage a little bit here the fact that you know what JFK wrote a book called Profiles in Courage is, it, is in part because it, I guess it's the exception 
profiles and cowardice. My God. I mean, that'd be um, 700 million volumes. But courage, where people stand up for something larger than their interest. We don't see much of that here. We certainly see none of it from Republicans now. Um, and I, I read an article uh, over the weekend about a 26-year-old woman whose courage is mind-blowing because she doesn't live in the cushy U.S. of A., she lives in a place where huh, if you dare to stand up for what you believe in, you could well end up dead. And think of someone that young with all, all her life ahead of her refusing to run when she is clearly in huge jeopardy. I had never heard of her before. Let's let's talk about her for a bit because I think she will be killed. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Her name is Zarifa Ghaffari. She was born and raised in Afghanistan. And she was educated, which for a girl in Afghanistan is a rarity. She was not only educated, she left the country, went to India, and graduated from college there and then went on to get a master's degree in economics. She went home to visit her family in Afghanistan and her parents said, the new president is offering civil service exams um, and why don't you take it? Because you could get maybe a job. She took the exam. She must have aced it. Because when she went back to work on her master's in India, she got notified that the president of Afghanistan had appointed her to be the mayor of a small town in, well, actually a town of 35,000 people. I'm looking at a picture of her holding a meeting as the mayor in this town. She's the only woman in the room there are all these men at a table and not one of them is looking at her. They're looking down. They're refusing to acknowledge her presence. This is better than it was because when she arrived for her first day of work, she was greeted by a mob of angry men carrying rocks and sticks and warning that they would kill her if she tried to assume the role of the mayor. Afghanistan's intelligence agency, which had escorted her there, members of which had escorted her to her first day, uh, got her out of there fast. 
she told the intelligence agents, I will claim my right, my right to office, if I have to set myself on fire in front of the palace and I am not making an idle threat. She went back. Tried more than once. Nine months later, she went back and took her office. She convened an, a meeting. That's what the picture is. A meeting of the other people in this town that had some power. Twenty men. Some came in very late. They refused to look up from their cell phones. They talked among themselves, ignoring her. And she took him on. She's 26! There had been another woman who became the mayor of a small town. And that was actually in a more culturally liberal part of Afghanistan. She lasted two years and then packed her bags and got the hell out, came to the United States, where acts of courage are rarely required. She cannot even live in the city that she is the mayor of because there is such concern she will be killed that she has to commute to and from her job back to Kabul for safety reasons. Twenty-six years old. Besides graduating from college, working toward a master's degree for an Afghanistani woman, unbelievable. She also started a popular radio station aimed at women in Afghanistan. A remarkable human being. The headline of the story is Afghan Town's first female mayor awaits her assassination. She fully expects to be assassinated. And then I look at these Republicans, these spineless, self-interested, terrified Republicans. I, my contempt for them is, is equal to my admiration for her, a young woman who will never live to my age, a young woman who probably will not live to be 30. And she did not even seek this situation. It came upon her. And amazing. All I want to say is amazing. While we've been, of course, paying attention to things that we're being directed to pay attention to, other stuff's happening. I had pointed out that the uh, Trump um, was cutting food stamps. Uh, he's moved to do something additionally now. 
He's going to be trimming monthly benefits for people who do get food stamps by as much as $75 a month. Do you know what $75 a month is to somebody who's got no money? The latest plan would cut benefits for 20% of all households on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. That's what we call food stamps. It's ex anticipated that thousands of households will lose all their benefits. It's also said that most of those who will lose all their benefits live in cold northern states because heating costs figure into the calculation of how much money people are given. The sense that if you live in a colder place, your utility bills spike in the winter. I guess they are not going to take that into consideration, so the people who are going to get screwed are people who I guess would have to regularly decide whether to starve to death or freeze to death. The Supreme Court is back in session, God help us all. They'll be sitting, hearing cases. We won't know the outcome of those cases until, I think, the spring. I mean, what they do in the fall term into the winter is hear cases, and then they come out with their findings. There are so many hot-button issues that they have agreed to take on this session that um, it's impossible not to believe that we'll be seeing some gut-wrenching decisions coming out of this court. I guess this is the full, first full term with Kavanaugh and Gorsuch on it, the uh, fully Trumpized court a big case is going to have a big impact on um, gays because I, I guess as early as I think tomorrow the court's going to be hearing arguments on whether the Civil Rights Act 1964 like a, practically another world the 1964 Civil Rights Act applies to gay people in terms of employment protection. So far, it doesn't. There is no federal statute that quite clearly says you cannot fire somebody because they're gay. The reality is, in most of the country, and I give you Pennsylvania, Job discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity is perfectly okay. Discrimination is perfectly okay. There are no legal strictures against an employer firing a gay person simply because they're gay. Now, you can't do it in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh passed its own law. But in the vast majority of counties and cities and towns in this commonwealth, there is no protection. Imagine that, discrimination. There's no protection. So, So the question that these justices, and think again of who, were, who we got there, 
is whether the language in that 1964 Civil Rights Act signed into law by President Lyndon Johnson, whether or not it bars sex discrimination. It does bar sex discrimination, whether that applies to sexual orientation. The way then that it was assumed, the lawmakers were saying, you is that you couldn't discriminate against women. But as we now know, things are more complicated than just men, heterosexual men and heterosexual women. So that case will be there. The whether or not the dreamers will be protected is a case that's coming up. There's an abortion case they've taken on out of Louisiana. And if they, well, there's actually a case before them that would expand Second Amendment rights. <laughs> so, I mean, this is some of what is coming up. God Almighty. You know, I'm not getting mail again. And I don't know why. They, I mean, I sent myself something, and it never showed up. If anyone's emailing me, I'm not seeing it. I'm just telling you. What the fuck? Okay. Um... <clears throat> and, you know, normally this story would be big, but in this day and age with Trump, you know, sucking all the oxygen um, out of the world, it just doesn't get much attention. But I can tell you, back in the day, we would have spent a lot of time talking about this. And that's the fact that the Catholic Church is holding a, a synod is that the correct kind of say synod, right? About whether or not it should loosen the celibacy rules for its priests, which, I mean, is a rule that is over a thousand years old. A thousand years old. And the Pope is clearly for this loosening. The loosening would only pertain to right now to like the Amazon region because there's just not they don't have priests so what they're doing is they want to be able to ordain <clears throat> here's their language elders preferably indigenous, respected and accepted by their community, even if they have an existing and stable family, meaning even if they're married with children. And the Vatican is saying we need to do this in order to ensure availability of the sacraments that accompany and sustain Christian life. The Pope, Sunday, yesterday, said this. If everything continues as it was, if we spend our days content that this is the way things have always been done, then the gift vanishes, smothered by the ashes of fear and concern for defending the status quo. So, there you have the Pope saying, uh, could we uh, possibly even consider a little bit of a change? I mean, after a thousand years, we've got some uh, difficulties here. So, anyway, I just thought that's the kind of thing that, again... 
back in the pre-Trump era, uh, we would we would be talking about. Did you send me anything, Amy? Nothing. This, this makes things more difficult for me. There is a, uh, a woman named Monica Potts who is writing a book about um, low-income women in her native state of Arkansas. And in order to write the book, she and her husband moved back to where she came from a very rural uh, part of Arkansas. And she has written that what she has seen there tells her, <laughs> I'll let her say it. And these are people she knows. Her parents still live there. Anyway, she knows these people. Many people here seem determined to get rid of the last institutions trying to help them. They want to keep people with educations out. They want to retreat from community life and concentrate on taking care of themselves and their own families. It is an attitude that is against taxes, immigrants, and government, but also against helping your neighbor. She says, my time here makes me believe that the impeachment will not hurt Trump and that Democrats who are promising to make the lives of people like my neighbors better might actually be helping Trump. And she saw this play out when the people of this community refused to fund a li the only library in the county. And the quotes from people... and, and, and they didn't. I mean, they do not want to support through their contributions anything that they themselves don't use. Well, I don't go to the library. Call me narrow-minded, but I've never understood why a librarian needs a four-year degree. We were taught Dewey Decimals in grade school. Never sounded like anything too tough. They were upset that the pay for the librarian was over $14 an hour. You know, um, all of the people that are figured in here um, they scare the hell out of me these are people that I don't even comprehend and they're people who now these are Trump voters and they literally will not even help themselves if that help comes through a government program I Here she talks to one of the guys who actually watched some of the Democratic debates. And his reaction was, everything they were proposing was going to cost me money. I mean, so these are people that have no sense of something larger than themselves or their immediate families. It really is like law of the jungle. It's a, it's a kind of suspicious way to live your life. It sure as hell ain't loving. It is the antithesis of Christian, as I understand that term. 
And I'm thinking this is what happens when you've gotten a two generations schooled on anti-government, anti-tax, racist, all this kind of stuff that the Republicans have peddled. The Tea Party movement was this, was about this. We're not paying any taxes. And this for absolutely no comprehension of what government even is or is supposed to be in a democracy, in a representative democracy. And the Republicans have gone about schooling these people in in this cynicism and suspicion and then taking control of the very government they despise and showing these people, you see, government doesn't work because they cripple it. Caller, I'll be there in a second. I just want to say again what she's telling us about these folks. She says, economic appeals are not going to sway any Trump voters who view anyone who is trying to increase government spending in any way, especially if they're going, doing it to help other people. The, these people look at those people, that'd be us, with disdain, even if it ultimately would help them too. They see Trump's slashing of food stamps, of the national safety net, of his turning on the Kurds, of his withdrawal from uh, the international stage, as all of their impulses writ large. He's doing what they would do. They believe every tax dollar spent now is wasteful and foolish. So don't think for a minute that the people whose heads have been totally taken over by this respond to any Democrats telling them things like (laughs) Medicare for all college free debt forgiveness no they hate all that stuff these people I mean to me they they seem like they're dead they're dead to all of the I don't know and and, and anybody who thinks that you're ever going to change Trump's base in any way is as delusional as they are. They're they're lost. They're gone. They're like pod people. They don't speak the same language. They don't live in the same country. Call or go ahead, I'm sorry. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Hi. Hey, but they're all right with spending tax cuts for the big corporations. That's not spending money. And and then spending all this on defense. We spend more money on defense than we do on public education. And any country that does that has got problems in the future. We've just, they don't want to cut the, but the defense department is out of control. That it, we're almost to a trillion dollars. And then you give this tax cut to the rich, and then they say we don't have no money. Well, my God, you spent all the money, and then they say this, they got to cut, like you say, cut every other program. And these dumb people, they, they vote for that. Yep. It represent, because it represents their pinched, uh, cruel kind of worldview. Yeah. They really do want to, you know, my sense of them is they just want to, they're willing to have everything come crashing down because their sense of grievance, their bitterness 
that something somehow they ended up on the wrong end of the stick. This is like so great in them, and they blame not the people who are, yeah, not the one percenters, not the people who are playing them all the time, who are paying them, you know, uh, slave wages. No, they blame the people who make them feel disrespected. And that would be educated people, people who choose urban life, people who don't look like them, people who don't dress like them, sound like them. I mean, they just, uh uh-uh, they've circled the wagons. And you know what? Because they're starving their educational systems, they're starving, you know, they won't even support a public library. That kind of thing means that the only people that'll stay in a godforsaken place like that are sort of losers. I'm sorry. Other people will run the heck out of a place like that. So these places have brain drains. They they lose their young people. Young people say, God, there's nothing here for me. And they run. And the the people that remain are are bewildered, angry, and growing increasingly ugly, I'd say. It's, it's unbelievable to me. So. Okay, guys, I don't have a clue what's, what's happening here. But, I mean, I'm stuck doing, just babbling at you. If you're babbling back, I'm not seeing anything. And I'm, I know that you're not able to get in here. What the fuck? Why? I hate this. Okay. I'm getting agitated. Okay, I'll do a few of my pet peeves now. (laughs) I'm in the mood to do pet peeves. Oh, I know. Wait, wait, wait. Here's something. Did you... I mean, not that it's funny. This is not funny. But if this story is not America in a nutshell, I'd like to know what is. The guy... What a nice guy. To travel across... A continent? An ocean? To get to his father-in-law's birthday party. I mean, you know, a lot of people wouldn't bother, but this guy did. Um, I think the father-in-law was like in his 60s. Maybe it was his 60th birthday, his 65th birthday, who knows. The son-in-law, I'm not sure why his son-in-law's wife wasn't involved, he shows up to surprise his father-in-law. He leaped out of the bushes. Surprise, he said, and his father-in-law shot him through the heart. Because that's what we do in the United States. If somebody bangs on our door, because apparently he knocked on the door first, if somebody bangs on the door, you get your gun. And then you fire without having a clue you're firing at. Killed him dead. The guy had traveled from Norway just to say happy birthday to his American father-in-law, who, of course, not expecting him, saw him as a threat. Because that's what these people, these people who I don't even comprehend or recognize, these people who live in terror, who clutch their guns, who shoot before they even identify who they're shooting at, and it is millions of our country, men and women. And then you end up with this tragedy. The cops 
in this town are not, there's no charges to be filed because everybody understands that what that guy did was perfectly understandable. No charges filed. It's just a tragedy. I believe the sheriff said, pray for this family. Incredible. Walking my dog, I see stuff. And one of the things, we have a caller. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Hello, caller. Hey, Lynn, it's Mike in DZ. Hi, Mike. Um, yeah, I read that. I saw that article too about the guy who was shot by his family, and it's the reason I won't have a, I won't live in a house with a gun, it, because it's statistics. The higher the likely, the if you have a gun in your house, the likelihood of suicide or homicide are exponentially increased because right. of that. I hear a noise. Let's pull the gun out. I'll shoot and ask questions later. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I think that's mostly the theme of the Republican Party is shoot now, ask questions later. And if it's your son-in-law, hey, I'm a white guy. They're not going to arrest me, right, because mm-hmm. I was protect- standing my ground and protecting my area. Right. But most of the Republicans I know, and I know many, are really afraid, F- afraid of things that I would never in a million years be afraid of. Right. And that's really sad. I said to a friend of mine just on Wednesday, who was in Cincinnati on a, in a buggy with it being pulled by a horse, and she was afraid that somebody, some homeless person, was going to jump out and kill her in that buggy. And I said, it must be really hard to live in a world where you're that afraid. I'm sorry for you. Yeah. And she said, well, what if they stole my purse? I said, you'd get a new purse. No, you're right. I don't so comprehend exactly it right. either. I don't. I mean, I bump into people like, you know, twenty locks on the doors. Um, you know, just terrified. Or the people that don't even live in the city and consider it an act of courage to like come into town <laughs> to see a play or something. What the fuck? Can you imagine right. living with that? To... Yeah, really, to live with that level of fear. I can't. I can't. You're even. always going to be mugged or robbed or raped or pillaged. Right. right. It must really be horrible for them. You know what? I go through days and days and weeks and months and even years without ever having the thought, "Oh my God, I might get killed. I might get you know right. Someone's going to break in." I. It doesn't. I. I mean, I. This is why I say I don't understand. What's happened to these people's brains? But I sort of do. They've been conditioned. Well, they've actually they've actually done brain research on Republicans versus Democrats because they see, you know, um, statisticians see the difference in how people think and want to know why. And this, they call it the "it" factor, and that Republicans, when they see something new or unlike themselves, instantly go "ick." And Democrats, on the whole, don't say "ick." They say "oh." Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. And that they don't know why and they can't figure out why, but there's definitely a difference in the ick factor from Republicans to Democrats. And I think you're right. We're never going to change them. Uh-uh. We're never going to get them to not say, you got an extra purse. You, you, nobody's going to murder you here. You're a rich no. white woman in the middle of Cincinnati. That's not who's killed in Cincinnati. <laughs> so we're not going to rationalize their fear away. The only thing we can do is get the other Democrats who don't vote because everybody's a crook. So why would I vote to say maybe everybody isn't a crook? Hmm. What a novel thought. You know, I was just thinking when so yeah. she was worried. Wait, she was worried about some, you know, homeless person, uh, you know, killing her, snatching her purse, whatever. And I was thinking, how, how effed up do you have to be not to realize 
that it is the homeless person who right. is at risk, not you. <laughs> I mean, did I right. just read today that four homeless men were beaten to death while they slept in New York City? Yes, I that. didn't I read that. that some homeless man broke into somebody's apartment in New York and bludgeoned four fine fellows, uh, you know, in their own apartment. It is homeless people who are vulnerable to violence. Jesus, not you taking a fucking carriage ride. God, I'm sorry. I just, I'm sorry. I I hate these. You know what I'm I'm afraid of these scared, of these fearful people. I what makes me afraid is them. Do we remember? But we can't what, match their fear. Well, you remember what we FDR can't match said. Their fear with more fear. What did FDR say? Huh? <laughs> we have nothing to fear, right. but fear itself. And we, we now have a Republican Party that tells people over and over and over again, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And we can't jump into that. We can't buy into that, like with the whole impeachment. I'm now no longer hopeful that any of this will work. Yeah. But we still have, have to, to do, do what's right. Right. Somebody I, has to stand up and say, this is not right. And the consequences be damned, but this is not right. And I will stand here and say it, no matter if Joe Biden goes down, I don't think he's a good candidate anyway. This is not right. I hear you. I don't care what the polls say. It's something. Boy, we're living in, a, in crazyville. But I refuse to be afraid. Don't be afraid. I refuse to spend my remaining years clutching onto my purse saying, ooh, this boogeyman may take it. I refuse. I refuse. Yeah. God, oh. So have a good Monday. Ha! Time's almost up. Goodbye. Thanks for calling me. <laughs> sure. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Jesus H. I got to tell you. I'm sitting here trying to figure out why I'm not getting my mail. You, you remember the old guy that used to have a sandwich board down and down? This is, goes back 20, 30 years. His name was Robert Lansbury. He walked around with a sandwich board that said, I cannot get my mail. This was before there was a... This and he was... I did a lot of stories on him because I, I found him... Interesting, but I mean, obviously, he was mentally ill. He had, he was a schizophrenic who, you know, he thought the CIA had implanted something in his head. I once went to Washington, D.C. to do a series of stories, and I was outside the White House, and who do I see walking toward me? Lansbury <laughs> with his sandwich board. And I said, Wow, what are you doing here? And he said, I come here every summer because I cannot get my mail. <laughs> oh, God. He was a bright guy. He was a nice guy. But he was mentally ill. But he had a cause. Man, he was dogged about it. I... And rather eloquent in his insanity, I thought. But I, 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 lo I, I really like the guy a lot. Okay, so um, I don't know what uh, technological uh, devils are um, infecting my computer here. But this has made the show very difficult for me. I, I just want to say, everybody should... Think about me. Poor little me. God almighty. Okay, you guys. It's uh, it's raining. I got a dog who's got a little bit of a, a foot issue, and I got to run home and see if I can get him to a vet. 
his dew claw. That's one of those things, you know, that little thing up here. His dew claws all messed up. And it is a totally useless appendage. Except it gets screwed up. Sort of like our little toes. I don't think little toes are long for this world. I mean, well, of course, we aren't either. But uh, dew claws on dogs are like that, too. All right, I'm babbling. Goodbye. I'm sorry I wasn't more upbeat. But then again, (laughs) see you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.